Uh, right now, we've been studying through 1 Corinthians, and uh, the church in 1 Corinthians had a number of issues, number of challenges that they were facing. They needed 90 days of Jesus uh, they, in a big way, all right? And, uh, and so with, with the church in Corinth, there were a lot of problems. There was a lot of division in the church. Uh, there were problems with immorality. There were problems with lawsuits in the church. Um, there were problems with idolatry. And there was a lot of confusion a lot of confusion uh, in their understanding of spiritual gifts. And so we've been looking at, uh, over the last couple of weeks, I actually took a week off last week and looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, but we've been working our way through 1 Corinthians uh, chapters 12, 13, and 14, which is about, really a lot about spiritual gifts. Uh, chapter 13 is uh, more focused on love, but it's, it's focused on love as, as, a, as kind of creating a context for understanding uh, both the purpose and how we're supposed to use our spiritual gifts. Um, when I was a, a young man, when I was 19 years ago, this is crazy. This was 40 years ago this last summer. Uh, 40 years ago this last summer, I was in the Philippines. And uh, uh, while I was there, I, I met this guy. His name is Colonel Rene Fuentes. And uh, Colonel Fuentes, was the, uh, he was the, the national director for Campus Crusade for Christ at that time in the Philippines. Very, very interesting man. He was probably in his 50s. Uh, he was um, just, he, he, he was a very, very joyful person. Uh, but he had, I, I don't know if you've been around guys like this, but he just had the, uh, the presence, uh, the demeanor uh, of, of like a Navy SEAL. I mean, this guy was just like, uh, he wasn't an intimidating person in a mean way, just his physical presence was one that felt powerful. Even though he wasn't a large man, he just felt like a really powerful person. Uh, a little bit about Colonel Fuentes. When, uh, you know, when I met him, I was, I was 19 years old. Uh, at the time, I was living with this guy named Art Gina, who later became the, the, the national director for, the, uh, for uh, Campus Crusade in the Philippines. But, but with, um, when I was with Art, Art was sharing me a little bit of uh, Colonel Fuentes' story. And uh, how many of y'all have heard of the Bataan Death March? Anybody ever hear that? Uh, Colonel Fuentes actually marched in the Death March. And, and for those of you who don't know the story, uh, in the early days of World War II, when the Japanese came into the Philippines shortly after the invasion uh, and the bombing of Pearl Harbor, uh, when they came in, a force of about 75,000, mostly Filipinos, about, uh, I think there were about 65,000 Filipino soldiers, 10,000 American soldiers, but they all ended up, uh, they all ended up surrendering to the Japanese. And these 75,000 men were forced to march 65 miles with no food, no water. Uh, and in that journey to, these, uh, to the prison of war camps that they would go to, uh, the numbers ranged anywhere from five to 18,000 of them were, died. Uh, it was just it was horrific. Uh, and, uh, and then of those who actually made it to the POW camps, about two-thirds of those men died. Well, Colonel Fuentes was one of those men who marched in the death march and one of those guys who lived as a prisoner of war for 40 months. And one of the things that Colonel Fuentes uh, uh, credits with him being able to survive is that he had this, and it's one of those things where this is not like a story you hear from a person who hears from a person who hears from a person. These are people that I met face-to-face. These are people that I talked with. But Colonel Fuentes uh, said that what he had was something like he believed was the gift of tongues. But in his gift, 
he had this unexplainable understanding of Japanese. Now, when I was a kid, what I grew up with, that was kind of foreign. It was very, very foreign to my understanding of how God works. Uh, but it's kind of hard to argue with another person's experience. So, uh, but he, what he says is that he believes that because of, uh, of that experience, that, that God used that to put him in good favor with the Japanese and allowed him to survive. Today, what we're going to look at is we're going to look at the Corinthian experience of tongues. Their experience is a little bit different from Colonel Fuentes, okay? But we're going to look a little bit at their experience, and we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And uh, as we go into this, though, I want to kind of share with you, I, I think we need to create a context here. We're going to look at tongues, but we're going to look at more than tongues. We're going to look at tongues, but we're also going to look at prophecy, because part of what Paul does with the Corinthians is they were having a problem. They were having a problem in the church where there were some people who were exalting the gift of tongues as though that were the greatest of the gifts. But in chapter 12, Paul says something very, very different. When Paul talks about spiritual gifts in chapter 12, he says to the Corinthians, he says that God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles. Second, notice or, you know, the numbers here. First, apostles. Second, uh, prophets. Third, teachers. And then he starts going through a list of then, 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 and then he gets to this last one, different kinds of tongues. So he doesn't begin his discussion with tongues. He ends his discussion with tongues. But he begins his discussion with apostles and prophets. And so real quickly... Uh, let me just kind of define for you. Let's, let's talk a little bit about what it means to be an apostle. Um, let's talk about what it means, to, what apostleship is. Let's talk about what prophecy is. Then let's talk about what tongues are, and then we're going to read the scriptures together. An apostle was, uh, the New Testament apostle was a little bit like the Old Testament prophet. Uh, to be an apostle, uh, you had to uh, to to have, occupy the office of being an apostle, to have the gift of apostleship, you had to be an eyewitness of the resurrection of Christ. You had to be uh, an eyewitness of the resurrection of Christ. Uh, in, in, in the New Testament, we see uh, Paul is called an apostle. The original 12 are called apostles. It's an office, uh, a gift that a person could not claim for themselves. So I couldn't just say, hey, I'm an apostle, Okay. Uh, it was something that was assigned to them by Jesus. It was an office given to them directly by Jesus, according to Matthew chapter 10, Acts chapter 1, Galatians chapter 1. Apostles were, as I said, eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ. We see this in Acts 1, 1 Corinthians 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. They established and governed the whole church under Jesus Christ, and they had authority to speak and write the words of God. Uh, the words of God equal in authority to the Old Testament scriptures. So what they were tasked with is they were actually tasked with writing the New Testament scriptures. Uh, now, some people believe, you know, if you hear someone today who says they're an apostle, I, I'm going to say, well, what do you mean by that? Okay, I'm going I'm to ask you, what do you mean by that? Do you mean that you've been tasked, have you seen the resurrected Jesus? Have you seen the resurrected Jesus? Do you do the works of an apostle, meaning uh, miracles? And... Uh, are you writing scripture? Because if you are, we need to add that to our Bibles. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
Now, some people use apostle a little bit differently. Sometimes people use apostle to mean like a missionary, one who's sent on a mission. I have no problem with that. Some people use the word apostle to speak of someone who's like a church planner. Like Joy and I, 26 years ago, we moved to this community to start a new church. Some people will use apostle that way. If you're using it that way, I don't necessarily have a problem with it. But the way we see apostle used most of the time in the New Testament, it's always where there is this measure of authority. And with that measure of authority, what they are writing and what they are doing is they are giving us the scriptures. We see this reflected in chapter 14, verse 37, where Paul says to the church in Corinth, he says, if anyone thinks they're a prophet, if you think you're a prophet, okay, if anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing you is the Lord's command. And so what Paul is establishing here for us is the work of an apostle is a little bit different from a prophet because what they are writing is the command of the Lord. So you kind of have this first tier apostle. You have the second tier prophecy. In the Old Testament, a lot of prophesying involved foretelling what God was going to do the day of the Lord, the coming of Messiah, the judgment of the nation of Israel. It also had lots of warnings pleading with Israel to turn from their sins of idolatry, greed, violence, mistreating the poor, the foreigner, the widow, and the fatherless. So there was a lot of pleading with God's people to repent and turn to God. And there was also speaking of the future day of the Lord, God's future judgment of the nation of Israel, and the coming of Messiah. Uh, So there was a lot of that. The New Testament prophet is less about foretelling and more about foretelling of God's word. The New Testament prophet, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, has special insight into the mysteries and the knowledge of God. We see that in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, verse 2, where Paul says, um, if I had the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge. So they, they have this special knowledge from God. They have this special insight into the mysteries and the knowledge of God. Uh, Also, they speak to God's people for the purpose of edification, uh, exhortation, and consolation. Or, as it says in the NIV version of of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Are you with me here? So, uh, those with the gift of prophecy, uh, when they proclaim the gospel according to chapter 14... Uh, When they proclaim the gospel, those who are unbelievers are convicted of their sin. The secrets of their hearts are laid bare, and many of them repent and worship God. Okay? So what the New Testament prophet does is he does not speak Scripture as the apostle writes Scripture, but what he does speak or what she does speak is Scriptural. Are you with me here? So it's not scripture, meaning that we need to record it, include it in our Bible, but it's scriptural, meaning it's instructive. It's instructive. It is helpful for edifying, building people up. It is helpful for encouraging people. It is helpful for comforting us. Okay? And that's what the prophet does. Uh, the gift of tongues. Tongues was used a couple of different ways uh, in uh, the Bible. We see it in Acts chapter 2. We have an example uh, where the original disciples of Jesus began to speak in other languages. It was the time of Pentecost. There were people from all over the ancient world who were gathered in Jerusalem for the purpose of worship. 
There were at least 15 different nationalities, as you read through Acts chapter 2. There were at least 15 different nationalities of people who are present, speaking 15 different languages. And yet what happens is you have this group of guys, mostly from Galilee. Mostly from Galilee. So what we're talking about is these guys are from, like, Arkansas, okay? (laughs) They're from, like, Arkansas. And what happens is all these people from the ancient world, they're present, and they hear these guys from Arkansas or Galilee, okay? They hear them speaking to them in their own language. This is a bunch of hillbillies talking to them in their language about the wonders and the mysteries of God. And what happens that day is this vast number of people come to know Jesus. There's that kind of example of tongues. In Corinth, we see something very, very different. Uh, in Corinth, and what we see is we see a kind of tongue speaking where neither the one speaking nor the ones who hear them speaking understand what's being said. Uh, in, in fact, let me, let's just read the text and we'll get into this, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we're going to do verses 1 through 19. Paul says, follow the way of love. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Now, why does Paul tell them on the front end to desire especially prophecy? This is really important. Let's, let's, get, let's pretend. Can, can you use your imaginations with me for a moment? 2,000 years ago, when you went to church, you did not have a Bible. All right? You didn't have a Bible. Uh, We didn't have printing presses. There was no mass production. Could you imagine putting together the 90 Days with Jesus little thing? Without, yeah, right. Tessa would be very busy. She was busy with what she did, but she would be even more busy. Could you imagine writing every one of those handwritten 100 copies? But that's the way the Bible was written. If you were a church, uh, like the church in Corinth, the church in Corinth may have had, we don't know for sure, but they may have had uh, all the books of the Old Testament in the form of scrolls. They may have had all of the Old Testament. We don't know for sure. They may not have. Sometimes people didn't. They may have had all of the Old Testament. My guess is they probably had the book of James, They probably had the book of James. They probably had Galatians. They probably had 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Besides that, they didn't have any of the New Testament. You know how I know that? It wasn't written yet. It wasn't even written yet. When when Paul writes uh, 1st Corinthians, it's around 53, 54, 55, or no, yeah, 53, 54, 55 uh, A.D., the rest of the New Testament wasn't written until the early 60s and beyond. Okay? Uh, the reason I believe they had a copy of, of James, I don't know. They may or may not have. We know that it was written before that time. The book of Galatians, remember, who wrote Galatians? Paul did. All right? And who started the church in Corinth? Paul did. All right? And Paul wrote the book of Galatians in Antioch before he came to Corinth. My guess is he probably had a copy made for them. He wrote both 1st and 2nd Thessalonians while he was in Corinth and had them sent to the Thessalonians. So my guess is they probably had a copy of both of those. 
And in 57 AD, while he was in Corinth, he wrote his letter to the Romans. They probably had that. But at the time that Paul was writing 1 Corinthians to them, they didn't yet have the New Testament. So the reason that the prophet was so important in the church is that the prophet would speak to the people on behalf of God. Words that were scriptural, but not necessarily scripture. And in each case, whenever they would share these words with the community of faith, the community of faith would carefully weigh. Okay? They would carefully consider. Uh, they, would, um, they would test, uh, they would test uh, what was written or what was said against the teaching of the scriptures. So what Paul says to them is what you guys really need is you need to get to prophecy. Now, there were some in Corinth who were much more focused on tongues. And so what he says to them, follow the way of love, eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries uh, by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. Uh, The one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. You hear that? Paul says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. Paul's not down on tongues. Paul's not down on tongues, and we shouldn't be either. Uh, He says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but... I would rather have you prophesy. See, the, the, the gift of greater priority for him was this gift of prophesying. I would rather that you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone speaks in, or excuse me, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Verse 6. Paul says, Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you, and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you? Unless I bring to you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction. Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or the harp. How will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Okay, let's pause here for a moment, okay? Let's pretend for a moment. We're not going to do this. I wanted to do this, but we're not going to do it for, for sake of time. Um, if, if Matt and I both were to get up, okay, together, and one of us was to take one electric guitar, and one of us were to take the other electric guitar, and we were both would play a song for you, such as, what would be a good song? Walk This Way. Walk this way all right? <laughs> Can we turn on one guitar? Actually, turn on two guitars. Matt, would you help me do this? Oh, I'm going to use this one. I'm going to use the one that can't be broken. I'm going to use the one that's not uh, plugged in. Oh, okay. All right. Actually, we're going to play the second song. We already, I already spoiled it when I talked about Walk This Way, okay? 
That was the one I wanted to do, but he wouldn't do it. All right, I'm going to I'm going to play a song for you. Where's the Oh, there's pick. All right. I got to do this right, all right? All right, all right, all right. Y'all ready? Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. I'm pretty sure this is a chord right here. Okay? Okay, can you name that tune? Can you name that tune? No? All right, Matt, you, you, you play your version. So the point, can I just toss that to you? <laughs> All right. So what, what, what Paul says, he says, he, he's talking about speaking in tongues. And, and what he does is he compares that to playing a musical instrument like an electric guitar. Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds like the pipe, harp, electric guitars, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? You get this? Paul is saying in the church, if people don't understand what you're saying, they will not be edified. They will not be encouraged. They will not be comforted. Uh, the person making those sounds might be laughed at, like me, by you. Um, but, what, but it doesn't really do you any good. Again, in verse 8, he says, Again, if, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, he'll get ready for battle. So imagine your you know, ancient field of combat. Ancient field of combat, you sound either the charge or you, you sound the retreat with the trumpet. But the sound that's made isn't clear. Half of the guys are charging. Half of the guys are retreating. And you don't know what to do. And Paul says that's kind of the way it is when someone is speaking in tongues without someone to interpret. So it is with you, unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? Now, when he is saying this, he's not ridiculing tongues. He's just talking about its place in the church. You'll just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If, then, I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So today, if I start sharing with you my testimony, by the way, I can share my testimony in Hungarian. I think a few of you know this. But if I share my testimony with you in Hungarian, you're not going to have a clue what I'm saying. Now, if you're Hungarian, you can speak Hungarian, you would. Uh, But uh, otherwise, you would just be a foreigner to me. And Paul says, so it is with you, since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel at those that build up the church. See, the whole purpose of gifts, the whole purpose of gifts is not to create confusion. It's not to make a lot of noise. The whole purpose of gifts is not to edify ourselves. But the whole purpose of us discovering our gifts is for the sake of, of edifying other people. Verse 13, Paul says, For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. 
they should pray that they can interpret it. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you're praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who's not, who is put, now put in the position of inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving? Since they do not know what you're saying. You're giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. Verse 18. Now, is Paul down on tongues? No. No. In fact, in verse 18, we discovered that Paul has the gift of tongues. Verse 18, Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So see, this was a gift that he had. It was a gift that he practiced. But he says this, but in the church, in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. All right, all right. So let's, let me land this one as quickly as I can. What does this mean for us today? What does this mean for us today? Number one, I'm going to say this. Make love your priority in all things. Okay? Make love your priority in all things. Chapter uh, 14, verse 1. Follow the way of love. Folks, if we, get, if we get love wrong, we can't get gifts right. Are you with me here? You know, over, over the next uh, year in 2020, we could all discover what our spiritual gifts are. We could all become masters at our spiritual gifts and disappoint one another in Jesus. Because if we don't get love right, we can't get any of that right. Are you with me here? You've got to get love right to give gifts right, get gifts right. Number one, make love your party in, uh, in all things. Number two, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. All right. Is prophecy needed in the church today? Real quick, I'm going to talk about this. We have a completed New Testament. A lot of people argue that, that the gift of prophecy is no longer needed as much today as it was in the first century church. Let me talk to you for a moment, if I can, a little bit of what I believe prophecy sounds like in, in the 21st century church. Last, um, last Thursday, uh, Friday, and Saturday, um, we spent a lot of time with Wanda. Uh, we spent her last days, her last hours with her. And in that day, there were a lot of things that were said. There were a lot of things that were done by different people in this church that really moved me in a special way. On Saturday, uh, I was just feeling this profound sadness. I mean, you know, we have loved Wanda. Wanda's been an important part of our lives for uh, 17 years. And, uh, you know, we consider her to be a very, very dear friend. Uh, Our family does. Uh, she's been really, really dear to us. And it was, we were all sitting there in her room. Uh, it was a little bit quiet. And um, we're just kind of waiting. We're just waiting with Wanda. And she's comatose at this point in time. Don't know what she understood, what she could understand. But in that moment, uh, Carolyn began to read the scriptures. She began to read the scriptures. Just, she went from scripture to scripture to scripture, different scriptures in the Bible about the resurrection, about the hope that we have in Jesus. 
And she just began reading these scriptures, and she began to speak words of encouragement. And as I was listening to her, because see, I wasn't supposed to be speak, I was supposed to speak on 1 Corinthians 14 last week, because I was kind of immersed in my study of 1 Corinthians uh, 14, and I was thinking about this whole gift of prophecy and what that looks like in our world today. As I was listening to her, uh, and I was listening to her insight and her understanding of the mysteries and the knowledge of God. And as I was listening to her, see, the one who prophesies speaks for edification, exhortation, and consolation. They speak for building others up, encouraging others, comforting others. And as I was listening to Carolyn, I found myself feeling built up, encouraged, and comforted. And as I was experiencing that, I just had this sense of, yeah, this is what it looks like. This is what it feels like. I think sometimes in the moment, we may not even realize that we're using a gift. We may not even know it. We may not recognize It's not like we sat down and Carolyn said, okay, now I'm going to exercise my spiritual gift. <laughs> she didn't say, I did my spiritual gift inventory yesterday and I figured out this prophecy. Here's my moment to prophesy. I don't think it's like that. I don't think we get to choose the gifts for ourselves. I think God chooses it for us. And I also think that God doesn't just choose the gift for us. He chooses the moment for us. I know with myself, you know, one of my spiritual gifts is the, the gift of evangelism. And on many occasions, I've seen God use me. But there have been other occasions where I've wanted to share the gospel with people, and I just felt helpless. It's not like something I can turn on and turn off. It's like something that God does in these moments, these God moments. And that was a God moment. And it was really fascinating because we talked about this a little bit on Thursday night. We were driving down to Walnut Creek, and uh, Matt and Carolyn and Joy and I, and I was sharing with her. And it was interesting is that Carolyn was sharing with us how she had recently been praying for the gift of prophecy. Isn't that fascinating? Uh, so, uh, so what Paul tells us is, number one, make love your priority in all, all things. Number two, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. Number three, t- seek to excel at spiritual gifts that build up the church. Okay? If you don't know what your spiritual gift is, then seek to excel at one that edifies and builds up the church. Okay? If you're seeking to excel at building others up, that's always a win. It is always a win. Number four, um, um, if you have the gift of tongues, if you have the gift of tongues, but there's no one with a gift of interpretation, you should keep quiet in the church and speak to yourself and to God. See, Paul's not saying that the gift of tongues is a bad thing here. He's just saying you've got to know your context and you've got to use it appropriately. Uh, In verse 28, Paul says this. He says, um, verse 28, um, if there's no interpreter, speaking to those speaking in tongues, if there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Uh, Before this, Paul talks about that if someone speaks in tongues, it should be by at the most two or three people each in turn. Not everybody speaking at the same time but by two or at most three people each in turn, and someone must interpret. Otherwise, they should keep quiet in the church and speak to themselves and to God. There is a place for that. That's healthy. That's holy. It's God-ordained. Okay? Finally, number five, uh, about what does this mean for us today? Number five, be eager to prophesy. 
Do not forbid speaking in tongues and do all things in a fitting and orderly way. Verses 39 and 40. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. That's how God wants us to do church. So what should I do today? If I don't know what my spiritual gift is, let me give you four things here real quick. Number one, pray and ask God to show you what your gift is. Pray and ask God to show you what your gift or your gifts is or are. Okay? Number two, start serving if you aren't serving. Start serving and experiment as you serve. A couple of thoughts here. You're most like Jesus when you're serving. Okay? You're most like Jesus when you're serving. And the more you find joy in serving others, the more meaningful your life becomes. So, first of all, pray, ask God to show you what your gift is. Secondly, uh, start serving if you aren't serving and experiment as you serve. Number three, ask others what they think your gift is. Now, understand that for centuries, people have been discovering their spiritual gift without spiritual gift inventories. All right? In the New Testament, they didn't use spiritual gift inventories. They didn't have it. You just lived in community with other followers of Jesus. And as you began to use your spiritual gifts, someone else would speak a word of encouragement to you. You know, when you use that ability, when you do that... uh, By the way, no one's ever told me after I sing that... I'm a gifted singer, all right? Nobody's ever told me after I played guitar, you're a gifted guitar player, all right? Yeah, thanks, Matt. <laughs> I did pretty good, all right? So, so but, but the thing is, is that, that the, the way we discover our gifts is really by serving, experimenting, and listening to the affirmation of other people. And then finally, number four, I would say after you get some experience serving, take a spiritual gift inventory like the one we're going to use in 2020, and, uh, and just kind of look at it. Look at it. If you think it's got you right, just explore. If it, you think it's got you wrong, it might be that it does. You know? But that's where you ask for affirmation from other people. You know? In the past, um, I remember as a younger man, on many occasions, I had friends of mine, I'd be in situations where I would share the gospel with people. And they were situations where, I don't know, it was just kind of like God moments. You know, it's like I, I couldn't make it happen. It just kind of happened. And, uh, but for me, because I couldn't make it happen, you know, my buddies would tell me, hey, I think you have the gift of evangelism. But I'd always say, well, no, I don't think I do. And the reason I didn't think I did is because I couldn't turn it on when I wanted it to, to turn it on. But what I didn't understand as a young man is that God who gives the gift as he wishes and gives it when he wishes. But it was through the affirmation of other people that I began to discover what my spiritual gifts are. Gifts in teaching, gifts in leadership, gifts in evangelism. In 2020, we want to, uh, we want to kick off our year with, uh, with 90 Days with Jesus. Uh, what we want to do is we want to kick off our year with um, reading the scriptures together, with discussing the scriptures together in groups, with hearing the scriptures taught here. Uh, But one of the things that we also want to do is we want to learn what our spiritual gifts are. We want to learn how to develop those, and we want to to learn how to use those. But as we're doing all this stuff, what I want us to come back to, what I want us to come back to is I want us to come back to following the way of love. Are you with me here? That we want to follow the way of love. That what we want for ourselves, what we want for our church is we want to be rooted 
We want to be rooted. We want to be grounded in God's love for us. We want to be so filled with God's love and so filled with God's fullness that it permeates every aspect of who we are and that it overflows in how we love God. It overflows in how we love our community and it overflows in how we love one another. Let's pray. God, we, um, we as your people uh, really want to get better. Uh, we really want to get better. God, we want to get better just being rooted and grounded in your love for us. We, wanna, we just want to enjoy what it feels like to be loved by you. And, and we want to grow in, this, this, in our understanding of your love that defies all understanding and all human measure. And God, as we are growing in that love, we want to learn how to love one another by learning how to discover and use our spiritual gifts for the edification of your church. And we pray this in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen. Amen.